Hi, this is Randy Wimmer, and welcome back to the LinkedIn live stream Entrepreneur Sound Off podcast. Today's topic is risk management. And the reason why I'm going to talk about risk management is that is, in my opinion, the absolute weakest areas in most small business bids. And the reason why is, is because, well, for two reasons. Uh, the first reason is, is that um, most small businesses do not know how their proposals are actually being evaluated. And then the second reason is, um, it's just a perception about all small businesses. And I want to talk about both of those things. So the first one is, is how are proposals really evaluated? Well, uh, I, I usually show people uh, that I'm working with a debrief of one of my uh, proposal debriefs. It was a it was a contract that I had I had bid on, and this was like hundreds of pages of proposal that I created. And I remember going to this debrief, and what just a, a just a what a blow it was to sit there and think about hundreds of pages, countless hours of work, and it was summarized with about five different colors. It, it was like, really? <laughs> that That's it? You know, like I did all this work and it ends up coming up to, you know, you, you have a table here with five colors in it. That is it. It's like, wow. You know, I you know I measured this thing with a micrometer and you cut it with a chainsaw. And, you know, and so it was, it was, uh, it was a little bit of a, you know, of, of a blow to me. I, it was like a, a punch to the solar plexus. Like, really? You know, that's it? You just basically give me a color well there's colors there's a lot that goes into those colors and this is where most small businesses get it wrong most small businesses think that it's your technical solution that's the overwhelming majority of the uh of, of your evaluated proposal score and i will say this your proposal is usually uh, the, the technical solution piece of it is usually weighted the most. It is usually the most valuable piece of it. Not always, but usually. However, let's just say you're bidding on a cybersecurity. And most small businesses think that, wow, you know, that the cybersecurity solution must be 95% of my score. And, and you'd be wrong. Because here's why. The federal government, they're not only bureaucratic, uh, bureaucratic, but they're also greedy bastards. <laughs> Pardon my French. And what I mean by that is, is they, they'll read your solution and they'll say, yeah, that's a good solution, but uh, how do we know it's going to be delivered in a, in a quality manner? How do we know that it's going to be conforming? How do we know that what you say is what's actually going to be delivered? We want to see your quality control plan. And as you know, as a matter of fact, this thing's a prime contract and you're a small business. How are you going to manage it? How are you going to manage this contract? We want to see your management plan. And when we're talking about management and you being a small business, how are you going to transition it? How are you going to go from day one, not having any employees to being fully staffed and executing, um, you know, without dropping any balls in the last day of that 30 day transition period? And how are you going to staff it? What's your staffing plan? What's your risk management plan? What's your compensation plan? What's your organizational conflict of interest plan? What's this? What's that? What's this? You know, now the deal is, is they don't always ask you for all these, um, all these additional plans. They, they could ask you just for two or three. 
you know, like your management, your quality control plan, maybe, you know, maybe a risk management plan. Maybe they just ask for their management plan, but they will always ask for additional uh, plans that I call your standard plans that don't really change that much from bid to bid to bid to bid. And then you have your solution specific uh, sections of the proposal. You've got your solution, you know, uh, being compliant with the statement of work or the performance work statement. You've got your key personnel section, and then you also have got your past performance. Now, what most people don't realize is that every single time they're asking for something different, um, in addition to that solution, it's diluting the value of that solution um, the, for your overall score. So they're adding all these additional things. And what they're trying to get to is, is can you deliver what you say? And this all comes down to risk. Now, they are going to evaluate each one of these these factors, and some of them may be sub factors to you know rolled up into into you know primary factors. For example, management is typically a factor, and then you can have your quality control plan, your staffing plan, uh, you know your risk management plan, all the sub factors underneath it, um, as well as maybe a transition plan, and your you know maybe underneath that as well. Sometimes the standalone. Sometimes your staffing plan is underneath your transition plan. Anyway, there, there's lots of different ways that they can organize it. But what they're going to do is they're going to assess each one of these factors with respect to technical and risk. And that's what it is. They can either do it one or two ways. They can either have a technical rating where they give you your you know color score um, you know, with a separate risk rating, um, or they can do a combined technical risk rating. Most of the time they'll do a combined technical slash risk rating. What does that mean? Risk is half of your score. Risk. Can they believe that you're going to deliver? Do they have confidence that you're going to deliver what it is that you say that you're going to deliver in this contract? Half your score. And people will neglect to address risk in their proposal. They won't talk about their risk management plan. They won't talk about you know, the formal components of it. They won't talk about a risk register. Um, when they are asked for the risk management plan, what they'll do is they'll break out something that has been going around our industry since the 1990s about you know probability times severity. And, and this is about as boilerplate that you could do. And it doesn't differentiate your company and, and everybody knows that like, okay, you know, you have to be in this industry exactly two weeks before you're gonna find this, you know, somewhere on the internet or through a partner or something like that. And, you know, and they, they kind of realize it's not really used effectively. So what you have to do in each one of these sectors, these factors, these sub factors, is you've got to make them believe that you're low risk. And there's all kinds of different ways to do that. Um, you know, again, if you identify and acknowledge the risks and you list your risk mitigation strategy along with it, you're going to knock it out of the ballpark. They want to make sure that you can identify and address these risks to prevent them or to mitigate them or to manage them. And by doing so, what you can do is you can ghost your competition who don't address those same risks.
And uh, there's a lot of value to be had by doing that. There really is. There's other things that you can do with risk too. And then um, saying that you don't like risk and risk is all bad, that is not the right answer. That sounds like it's an answer written by a seventh grader. All risk is bad. Well, you know, you don't like risk. However, sometimes you're willing to assume risk because you're mature enough to understand that with risk comes certain opportunities. And now we're talking about risk appetite and risk tolerance. Certain aspects of that contract, you're gonna have an extraordinarily low appetite for risk. That's dealing with contract compliance. Now, there are other areas of it that you may uh, be willing to accept more risk. And therefore, you're because at the end of the day, nothing ventured is nothing gained. If you want to make a significant improvement in your corporate culture or your training or whatever it is, you've got to assume some risk to make that happen. Now, if you acknowledge that you are willing to accept a certain amount of risk to make something better or more innovative, now you're adding value. And you're also acknowledging that this value doesn't come free. It, it's coming with a certain element of risk. You're mature enough to know that. So if you're just saying that you're offering all kinds of, of value and you're creating value from thin air without any risks, you're naive. And I would state that in my in my proposal that it is naive, you know, um, to to state that you can provide all this value without acknowledging that that this value frequently comes with an element of risk associated with it. And if you're not mentioning the risk, it's because you lack the maturity to to know that it exists, and therefore you can't effectively manage it. And that's when you're starting to ghost your your competitors. Again, this is a chess game, not checkers. And if somebody else is mentioning you know, value, I bet you they're probably not mentioning the associated risk that's creating that value. And that's a good way to poke them in an eye with a stick. So there's different ways that you can talk about risk, but the most important way to do it is to acknowledge that it exists, document, in your proposal, the real risks that you know that, that that you're facing, and by acknowledging those risks, they know that you're aware of it, and then they see that you have actually have a mitigation or a management strategy associated with it. I've done this in the past. Um, if you really want to uh, knock knock something out of the park, and um, you're, you're going after something really big. The most risky part of any proposal is the transition. You know, that's when you have two different companies on day one of the transition uh, period. One company is doing everything. They know everything. And by the last day of that transition period, a completely different company is doing everything, fully staffed and knowing everything. And along that process of that that exchange of all the duties and of all uh, of all those activities and responsibilities, uh, the expectation is is that no balls are dropped. You know, you, you don't want to you want to have one hundred percent continuity of service, and um, so 
what what I've done in the past is I've I've actually included part of my formal ISO 9001 risk management program as an addendum to the uh, to the proposal. I like using addendums because um, addendums, if you're referencing something and if you include it in an addendum, if they're playing a hardball with you, they're going to throw it away and they're not going to look at it. Now, if you include if you include it in the actual text of your proposal, now what they're going to do is they're going to count that as your page count. And at the end of that page number, they're going to say, we're not going to read the rest. So you're usually pretty safe by putting additional stuff in addendums. Now, um, you know, everybody always says, well, Randy, it's probably just going to be thrown away. They're not even going to be read. Well, if you document as part of your risk management plan that you have 15 risks that uh, were perceived to be, you know, or uh, analyzed to be high, and you've got that part of your risk register included in your in your addendum, you've got the actual risk identification form as part of your ISO uh, program, you know, listed there. You've got your risk rating form that is, that assesses that risk as high, and then you include a risk management plan because it is high uh, to include notes from your your management review board or your risk committee, depending on how you're organized as a company, and you even throw an audit. <laughs> To, to show that you you're you know you've um, you've even reviewed your risk management uh, program with respect to these risks, there it's it's irrefutable that you know what those risks are, and even if it's not read, it happens through osmosis. When they're tearing out that inch thick section of your risks, your your documented risks of your risk management plans, of your notes that you've taken to address those risks as part of your management review board meetings and so on and so forth. Something happens in that source selection board member's mind through osmosis as they're ripping out that inch thick, you know, stack of, um, you know, of risk documents. Um, it, 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 somewhere along, you know, from being on the table, to, to being in the trash can, that short period of, of, of distance, they start to think that you're the low risk bearer. They are gonna read it, they are gonna review it, they are gonna know it exists, they are gonna feel the weight of it. And by doing that, um, that, that I've, I've had a lot of success doing it. I've also done the same thing with staffing. Um, I, I want a, a really large uh, NGA contract that you know, we were supposed to staff literally half of the NGA offices with the support personnel. So it was a massive staffing budget. So uh, we realized that we were going to win it or losing uh, win it or lose it based upon our ability to staff this contract. So what we did is we not only staffed the key personnel, they only wanted a couple of those, but we actually staffed the whole damn contract. We had a resume and a letter of intent for each resume for every single position on that contract. 
that we provided as an addendum. And again, um, did they review it? Who knows, who cares? All I know is that we perceived to be the low risk bidder of one. And I strongly suspect that that was because, again, through osmosis, tearing out two inches worth of resumes, you know, a hundred plus resumes, and tearing it out on their way to the trash can to throw it away. Somewhere along that short little trek, we became the low risk bidder. So um, that's one way that you could do that. You could use your addendum uh, and addendum to document those risks and to highlight your risk program. Um, you may also want to highlight different components of your of your uh, your risk tolerance. Everybody else is going to be talking about the same old boilerplate stuff about how do you assess a risk, you know, severity times probability of occurrence, and you're talking risk tolerance, risk appetite, talking about the pros and the cons of managing risk to increase value. You're talking about risk at a completely different level than your competition by going deeper into for, to your formal risk management program that's part of your ISO 9001 certified uh, system. So that's the first thing is, is that um, small businesses, they don't understand how the proposal is going to be scored. If they really thought about it and they, they, they really understood that half of their score is risk, you'd be seeing a lot of more, a lot more risk discussion, a lot more risk mitigation, a lot more risk management in the actual proposal. And it, it doesn't, you know, don't limit yourself to just the, uh, the technical proposal. It works the same way with the pricing proposal. If you suspect that you're not going to be the lowest bidder, well, you know, that's when you're throwing in a risk table that shows about all the pricing risks that your competitors are facing as well as you, but that you've identified and you're addressing, you know, for example, um, are you properly staffed so that your program manager may be 100% dedicated to the program? Or is the program manager going to be dual-hatted and doing corporate stuff? You know, like, um, you know, reviewing timesheets and, and doing things like uh, supporting the invoicing process rather than managing the contract, managing the mission. So what you're going to do is you're going to list all these risks down and about how you mitigate this risk. Like, nope, we have a full-time dedicated, you know, contracts person who's going to be doing all of the, uh, all of the invoicing and all of the timesheet management and all of that stuff to, to keep our program manager working 100% full-time on this contract. Now what you've just done is you've planted that seed of doubt that maybe that other company is coming in so low because, you know, they, they don't have the corporate, you know, staff in order to, uh, to, to ensure the program manager is not, you know, being dual headed. And, uh, the other thing is, is like, Hey, we're using locality, uh, estimated salaries. And Northern Virginia is one of the highest, you know, cost of living area. 
And that's why our salaries are so high because you know there's a risk that we could be using, you know, um, inappropriate, inappropriate estimated salary data. Maybe you know, and again, that that seed of doubt, you know, is now is planted that maybe your competitors are using national averages rather than Northern Virginia, Washington D.C. much more expensive salaries. You know, so that's how you can use this across um, you know both sides of the proposal, but the technical and the pricing. Now, at the very beginning of this, I said that there's two reasons. One, uh, uh, the first reason is is that that people, that small business owners neglect to to address risk um, as much as they should, is because they don't know how their proposal is being scored. The second reason is because they don't fully understand how they're being perceived as a small business owner. Most small business owners would be terrified if they could go and peek inside of the source selection board members collective parade. They would be terrified. And because, you know, to a government employee, one small business is completely the same as any other. We're all crazy, high-risk wives. <laughs> You know, they they automatically envision that you're a small business, that you're working out of your basement, uh, that you're using chewing gum and twine to keep everything connected, and that you're running and doing things by the seat of the pants. What you have to do is you've got to change that perception. So how do you immediately and dramatically change the perception that you're not what it those small businesses. Really, there's two ways. You can either demonstrate massive, large prime contract success. You can say, hey, you know, we're, you know, we are successfully leading, managing, and executing, you know, this this $75 million prime contract. That's the best way to do that. But if what happens if you don't have that $75 million prime contract that you're managing because you're a small business? Uh, then you come down to corporate credentials. That's the whole reason why people go to college. Um, my son, he's he's in college right now, and he's a little disappointed because he's not learning anything relevant. He feels to to what he wants to do, and you know, in his future occupation, uh, he's learning a whole bunch of foundational information. That, and he suspects there's no way in hell that this is ever going to be applicable to what he's going to be doing, you know, when he graduates. And as as his parent, you know, I try to be 100% honest with him. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. I said, but, you know, you don't go to, <laughs> sadly, you don't go to college to learn more about what you want to do in your profession. In many cases, what you're doing is you're showing that you are trainable to a certain level that you have the, the capacity to learn extraordinarily challenging and difficult things like calculus theory or differential equations or organic chemistry, whatever it is. Um, you know, you have the capacity to learn that. And why is that important? Because that is a risk indicator. You know, the, the degree that you have, the school that you have, um, it, it reflects very little about your knowledge. But what it does do is it reflects the level of which that you can learn. 
And that is our risk mitigator. So translating that into the corporate world, in essence, that's what corporate credentials are. They're your company's college degrees that that prove that you have a, a minimum level of corporate maturity, that you have documented processes and procedures, that you have uh, documented, you know, roles and responsibilities, that you are tracking key performance indicators and making data-driven decisions, you know, based upon those KPIs, uh, that you have a formal risk management program, that, um, you know, you are collecting all of this information about your vendors and your subcontractors and all these things to ensure they're performing. So there's there's a lot of things that go into um, having one of these corporate credentials, just like you know having a college degree. It's all in, it's all implied, um, and it's all it's all underlying you know it's, it's not like oh this person is very knowledgeable in organic chemistry or, or whatever that's not necessarily the truth but what it does say is, is that you do have that level with the capacity to learn very difficult things and again that's what corporate credentials do it shows that you can operate in a, in a mature environment so those are the two reasons one is uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, half of your proposal scores is effectively risk, you know, and you're, when you start looking at your technical slash risk rating. Um, and then the other one is, is, is confidence. You've got to have the ability to give a source selection board confidence that you can deliver and that you're not like those other small businesses because you have corporate credentials showing um, that you have these documented processes and procedures and so on and so forth in lieu of $75 million private contracts. So um, I hope this helps. Um, the next time you're writing your, your uh, next time you're writing a proposal, think about risk. Think about the importance that the source selection board is, is placing on your ability to effectively manage contract risks. And I think your proposal will score better. Talk to you soon.